0: Okay. Working okay, on, sound. on sound. Sound, sound. Okay. We're yeah, ready? We're ready. We're ready. Yeah. All, right. All right. Can All right. I start, All right. Over? start over? All right. All right. Well, it right. like we got All a few got sound, sound issues, issues, so let me start, start again. again. Well, welcome to the Christian, Christian family. 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 Um, um, good to have everybody here, here, in, here person in person or, or at home, home on, on, on the live Zoom. So we do want a couple of announcements to roll with. We are starting, you know, um, small, small in-person, in-person services, services um, and that and so that, that is that um, happening for those that are, those comfortable, that are comfortable coming, coming. so, so um, the, you know, feel, free feel free if you really feel the need to, need to be here to in person, in person. Um, we'll, we'll be doing, doing, a, much doing more, a much more um, a larger in-person down the road potentially road east. East. Um, uh, but, but certainly, certainly it's an option for you to come and we're all set up socially distanced in the sanctuary here and safe so that's available for Mid-week, midweek groups, groups. We're, we're still, still continuing, continuing our zoom, zoom groups. groups um, um pastor, pastor scott, scott is finishing, finishing up his, up his um, um, um where do we get did the we bible, bible series, series in, in, the in the next couple of couple weeks week, on, wednesday on wednesday at six and then, and then i'm going to continue my sermon, sermon 2.0, 2.0, 2.0 zoom, zoom series at, series at seven on wednesday so contact us if you want to be a part of that those groups have been going really well and that and then um we also have tomorrow night. Our, our newly formed um, Compass, which is a young adult group, um, is going to be meeting tomorrow night, 6:30 um, or 6:45 um, tomorrow night. So they meet every other Monday, and that so great um, young adult group for college age, um, you know, coed group. Um, so Kyle is leading that, and that's going really well. So that's coming up this coming Monday night, um, and they'll have the our Trail F and H D Nerf Wars in the background to make provide some atmosphere for that. So. It'll be fun, in that. So, with that, I wanted to share a scripture, and then we'll, we'll um, invite Pat up for a communion. So, if you can get your communion supplies ready, um, we'll be doing that in a minute. Um, but this morning, I um, was reading in Psalms and just felt in Psalm seventy-one. I um, just felt a, a message that God was having us for us in that. So, Psalm seventy-one. I'll read the beginning and the end. In that, and and it really is um, a psalm of. We call it a psalm of deliverance, but it says, In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In thy righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline thy ear to me and save me. Be thou my rock of habitation, which I may continually come. Thou hast given the commandments to save me. Thou art my rock and my fortress. And if you go to the very end of Psalm 71, he, he concludes, he says, But as for me, I will hope continually, and I will praise ye yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness and of thy salvation all day long, for I do, for I do not know the sum of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord. I will make mention of your righteousness and yours alone. And the words that just struck me, a couple of words in there, you know, you are my rock and my fortress was one of, the, one of the phrases that really stood out for me. And the second one is, I will hope in you continually in that. And so, again, my encouragement as we go through challenging times is where, you know, where is our rock? Who do we go to for something solid? And where does our hope? Are we hope in the Lord or do we try to put it somewhere else? So let's pray as we get going. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for being here with us, for giving us the opportunity to meet in your name and to worship you, Father. It is a privilege indeed that we enjoy, and we we are thankful. Um, So thank you for being our rock, our place of steadfastness that doesn't change, that we can go to and know, and your promises are true, and that you are there, and that you are solid. And thank you that you can be our hope, Lord, that we don't have to, to rely on the things of this world for our hope, but you are our hope this morning. So Father, help us to turn to you and put our hope in you as we gather together at home and here and as we worship you. So we just praise your name this morning and thank you for being our rock and our hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Pat.
1: Barry's a bit taller than I am. <laughs> so many of us find a connection to God, or or really notices God's marvelous works in the um, in the nature around us. And I happen to fall in that category. I'm certainly not alone. Even within our own congregation, Brother Gary writes beautiful poetry, and uh, there's always a picture of something out of nature, and it just drives home the point. On my way to work, I have a routine drive, and this fall, I've really been—I don't know—at the stop signs, and at the pauses, looking at the trees around me. And it's been—I've been driving this route for a long time, and there's various stands of different types of trees. And this year, I noticed that the leaves clung to the trees a very long time. Um, might be a little bit because of the warmer fall we had, or whatever reason, but the the leaves are really clinging onto the trees um, and last week, I started to notice, well, finally, it, you know you can kind of feel spring coming on, but finally, the trees that are supposed to shed their leaves are now fully bare, and even some of them are pushing some small buds, um, probably because of that little warmth we had in January. Um, and the sycamore trees are barren, and there's this cluster of oak trees, and they're barren except for one. And one still has some leaves from last year's growth, and they're not dead leaves clinging on, they're alive. And being kind of a observant nature lover, I'm like, is there any significance in that? What does that mean? And then I thought, wow, maybe, what if I was that tree? Could I take an example or could I take a lesson from that tree? And I think so. What if all the leaves that the tree has shed and dropped to the ground were these leaves? Arrogance, anger, bitterness, hate, revenge, jealousy, greed, envy, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, selfishness idle chatter and ingratitude and what if these leaves that are still alive and clinging to the tree were the leaves of gratitude kindness generosity patience selfishness less humility and compassion I think all of us would benefit if we were trees clinging to those leaves and we shed all the other leaves And then one of the most important leaves still clinging that we would keep would be the leave of forgiveness. Speaking of forgiveness, this leads me right into the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to jump now to Matthew 26, and we're going to prepare for communion. So go ahead and get your elements ready, and let me read Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, take eat, this is my body. Okay, so now we can take our bread. And afterwards he took a cup, and when he had given thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us take of the blood. Let me end with prayer father god we can begin to see the winter come to an end barely we're starting to see the marvels outside the earth that you created the plants the trees the animals and we're so grateful and thankful for all this father and we also are so thankful and grateful that we are starting to have some hope um with the pandemic and looking forward to um continual and um progress in this times and we see that today as we are gathered here Um, for the first time in a long time albeit in a small group but a small group is a small group and our small group will get bigger in this I give thanks amen
2: Uh, Pat, I might have the same problem here, so I'm just going to bring this down. <laughs> we just we come down in steps from Barry, basically, during the whole thing. So yeah, welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, today is kind of exciting, at least for me, and probably terrifying for Kyle, um, because it's his debut in preaching. So I'm going to give us a little opening this morning, and then he's going to take over and, and lead us through um, Luke chapter 5. It's been really great having Kyle here because um, we're both kind of crazy. And so if you come down here on any, t- on any day that him and I and probably um, Sinti Church's Michael Silva are here, it's off, it's off the rails for sure. But um, it's always these really incredibly deep spiritual, and they are conversations that leave us all like, whoa, did we just discuss that? So it's just been such a blessing to, to have Kyle here. Um, uh, this morning we're going to start in Luke chapter 5 we're currently studying through the entire book of luke during 2021 and it will almost surely take us a whole year to get there which is fine Um, before we do that i did want to mention we are um, reopening like barry mentioned to in-person services but we haven't really announced it on social media until this moment these moments because we're trying to do it in a way that's safe and appropriate for everybody and so, when we don't just blast it out there, it brings in a smaller crowd. So, just know we have about 11 people in our whole sanctuary right now, including me. And um, we're just hoping you'll, when you feel safe, you'll want to return and take a, a chair. We've set up all the chairs in the sanctuary in pairs. So if you come in a group bigger than that, like Kyle's family, then you can just yank, them, yank some chairs together. Or if you just wanna make sure you're isolated, you just push one of the chairs away, right? And you can sit by yourself. So we're trying to give flexibility there and we're all wearing masks unless you're talking here because it gets really hot. And, um, and so we're trying to do the safe thing. If you want to know more information about that, if you wanna know um, more things to help you feel safe or um, wanna make sure we're doing the right thing, Please feel free to contact any of us um, in any way. We'd love to share that info and um, help you feel comfortable and be able to make a decision on when you return to church. Meanwhile, we're so glad for this technology, right? to be able to spread the world, the word out into the world in ways that imagine if we had if this had happened uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago and we would we, we just wouldn't have church at all um, because there was, you know, No, hardly any internet and all of that going up, but now we have it. Um, So let's dive into Luke chapter five, and I wanna give you a little insight into this. Um, It's appropriate that today is Valentine's Day, and happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there, especially my high school sweetheart, go Bulldogs. Um, Kathy, we've been married 32 and a half years and met in high school, and I love you, Kathy, so I know you're watching. but it's appropriate that this day is Valentine's Day because it's a, a day, you know, we kind of secularly celebrate as love, but love is, is, you know, God is love. So it's a good tie-in just to think those things through too. But it's also the moment that we're in Luke right now where Jesus is going to start his actual ministry and start calling disciples. So this is a definitive moment where he's gained enough people listening to him that he um, struggles with the size of the crowds, and he also begins to kind of forge his way into those crowds when he can and start healing and expressing God's love for his people tangibly um, wherever he can. So it's a really important moment in history that Luke is recording, and as you'll see in a second, I'll point out, he, it's nice to have Luke doing it because he's more precise than a lot of the other writers. So we think he was a physician. He also wrote the book of Acts. As we studied in the how we got the Bible, um, it's very possible that Luke and Acts were all written at once, but they had to divide the books because they're so big and they were written in scrolls at the time. So they exceeded the 35 footish, Length capacity to be able to manage a scroll, so he he writes these two, and he traveled a lot with Paul and just did he was really involved um, with the uh, with the beginning of the of the Christian movement, but also he was really precise to document how this was happening, and so it's a real blessing to have his gospel included in our um, Bible, so Luke chapter five verse one it says That now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this is Luke's precise language. This is what we call the Sea of Galilee. But it's actually a lake. Much like our lakes in Michigan that are so big they look like an ocean, right? So this this lake is eight miles roughly across and 13 miles long. So I don't know about you, I know I'm old, but I can't see eight miles anymore. I don't think I ever could, and I'm not sure you could either. But since you can't even see the other side, it just became commonly known as the Sea of Galilee. But it's interesting um, that Luke is very precise with his language here. And Jesus saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he and Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, you have to kind of imagine this you have to you have to picture this in your mind the crowd is so large and they're pressing on jesus you know it's like we do in concerts right you want to get as close to the performer as possible or whatever so they're pressing on jesus to the point that he's he's looking around he's got the lake behind him and he's like hey guys there's two boats here come here and jumps in one of them and says, hey, can you just push off the shore a little, you know, because of these people? And um, and I just wanna do some teaching real quick. And so Jesus pushes off the shore, he's in a boat, he sits down, which is interesting. Remember in synagogue, they would read the scripture standing up, but when they did the teaching, they would sit down, the rabbis would sit down and teach the word. So we had earlier with, with Jesus reading out of the scroll of Isaiah, um, and then he sat down and said this day, this has been fulfilled so this is it's neat that he you know luke again is is mentioning jesus sat down in the boat so there's reasons for him mentioning that we just don't pick up when we're reading probably because it doesn't make a lot of difference but i'm a pastor and i like to talk a lot so i'm going to mention it um yeah so he began teaching the people from the boat and when jesus had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch And Simon answered him and said, Master, which in those days is just like us saying, sir, right, it's not, doesn't really mean anything other than, uh, excuse me, sir, that kind of thing. So Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we didn't catch anything. I'll do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's interesting, he changes there's something that happens here. This miraculous thing that happens is clearly demonstrated to Peter, in Peter's mind at least, that this is something divine that is happening, that Jesus isn't just a sir, a lord, or a master. He's his lord. He, has a, he is the Messiah that was promised to come, as the crowds have been talking about. And so he changes his lingo here to lord But he also says, I'm a sinful man, go away from me, right? Which seems kind of weird until you think of Isaiah. Remember when Isaiah had that that vision of being carried up to heaven and and that's the first thing he said too is, I can't be here, I'm a sinful person. And then the angel brought over a, a coal and burned his lips signifying, purifying him, but it's the same divine encounter that Peter is having here. We read over this passage, it's just a couple of guys in a boat, and one of them's Jesus, so that's pretty important. But there's a lot going on here that Luke is really precise about recording. And the main thing here is that the people that were witnessing Jesus were no longer just witnessing a man, they were witnessing the Lord, God himself. And they were saying this and recognizing it. No one's telling them. They just see the reality in the way Jesus is. So in verse 9 it says, For amazement had seized Peter and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you'll be catching fishers of men and when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him so we also know from mark that andrew the apostle was also with them here that's covered in mark chapter one when mark records peter's gospel remember a lot of people don't realize that the gospel of mark is really the gospel of peter being spoken to mark who's transcribing it right but um, he does mention here, or he mentions in Mark that Andrew was also in this crowd, and he was he was fishing with them. So you have Peter, John, James, and uh, Andrew all here, the first four apostles called, and Peter, John, and James become Jesus's like inner three apostles, and they become they're really the most influential apostles at the beginning of the Christian church after Jesus is resurrected. So you read the first, I think it's 10 or 12 chapters of Acts and you see Peter, James and John all over it because they were really moving forward with the gospel. And this is where it starts. It's just as a couple of fishermen on the shore that witness and are involved in this miracle have a tangible experience and then they leave everything and they follow him and i think a lot of times that's like our lives right like i i when i found jesus i i kind of left everything behind right i changed my ways and began to follow his ways and it's not that you know i left everybody behind everything behind it's none of that we're all saved by grace right not by what we're doing not by our works And so what I see in my life and probably you would see in yours as you think about your faith early on is this beginning of transformation where you still have the same issues in your life, right? I'm still Scott after I'm saved by Christ, but now I'm a resurrected Scott. I've I've had my spirit resurrected with the Holy Spirit. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now it is my nature... To be seeking after Christ, not to be seeking after sin, but I'm still stuck in this body, right? And that's the struggle Paul talks about, that he still had a struggle with sin because he was still in the flesh. But what happens is, as a Christian, we we start to bear fruit. I was talking about to Kyle about this in my office this morning when we were hanging out, and we should start bearing the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul talks about, where we will are by nature, we now start producing good things in our lives, godly things. We may have some of the ungodly sinful things still happening that we're still working on, and that's understandable Paul talks about that, right? Like, we're saved by grace, so there's no need for the law anymore, we're not under the law, but should we just go sin then and do whatever we want and say, but I still believe in Jesus? God forbid, you know, because you're not, are you really saved when that's happening? What you really are, I think, is a human that's been saved, but you're still in your body. So, Paul talks about that struggle over and over again, where you're still battling against your resurrected spirit and your human flesh. But it's a battle of grace because you're saved regardless. It's just that at that moment of salvation, we start to bear different fruits. You know, we, uh, it was Pat who talked about the uh, seeing nature. I'm one of those guys, too. Um, Kyle and I were even out front this morning joking around. Apparently, the bushes right up against the sanctuary closest to the cross are producing berries, are producing fruit. All None of them, of the rest of them are. So apparently, you have to be as close to the cross as possible, and then you'll bear fruit. This is what pastors do all the time. We just sit around and talk about stuff. But but that is kind of like the Christian image. You know, I'm Scott. I'm still stuck in human flesh. I still do things that Christ probably doesn't fully uh, appreciate. I feel like most of those things have been weeded out of me, or all of them, really, and that's why I'm hesitating. But I know I'm still human. I know I still make mistakes. I, still, I know I still annoy people. I, I say things that are antagonistic to people, maybe sometimes, whatever it is. That's who I am. That's the human in me. But mostly, I hope what people see in me is fruit that I'm producing in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, which are the opposites of the things that Pat was talking about. And so when when someone approaches me, what I'm trying to do is to to be in connection with that person with grace. And some people will tell me, I I, I like that you are willing to have the hard conversations or "I, I can't believe you're still talking to this person um, you know, because of who they are. But it's, it's not like I'm some great guy. It's just that God is. And, and grace is a part of what I want to be and do now. And, and as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, that's the problem of our nation. That's the problem of the world, is that there's just this giant lack of grace out there. If we had more grace for each other we would argue less. We would would talk more. If we we had more grace in our relationships with each other, there wouldn't be a polarization of politics, at least as badly. If we had more grace with each other, even people we don't know or understand or ever meet, there would be less war. See, the problem in the world is that there's a lack of grace which just pushes that down and pushes the human to arise out of it, when really we're supposed to be bearing these fruits of grace. It made me think this week about that original tree. You know, Paul talks about that we were once controlled by the law, but the law, all it does was point out death, right? It just points out where we're being bad. (laughs) And where do we get that law? Well, we get it physically through Moses from God, but really we get that with Adam and Eve at the tree where they eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the fall of humanity, right? That's what starts the need for a law. Before that time, it could be argued that it was, a, it was an age of grace, right? God was walking in the garden with them, right, physically. Everything seemed to be good. And then afterwards it wasn't and so maybe christ is redeeming us through the resurrection of grace to produce a new fruit which is the fruit of the spirit and that's often why you'll hear god or jesus in particular referred to as the second adam is that all right so with that the one thing that i like here and i'm going to move i'm going to pull kyle up in a second is that from this point on jesus moves from being away from the crowds out on a boat, although he still had to get away sometimes. He goes from don't tell everybody who I am, he still does that a little bit, but he moves fully into his ministry. And for me, it's a picture of Jesus having them pull the boat back up onto the shore, him hopping out into the water, Because unless you're really good, you're always going to get wet hopping out of a boat. And then he walks up on the shore and he just kind of, like a wedge of grace, he just kind of pushes into the crowd and healing starts immediately. And it's it's a good vision for right now this morning because working with Kyle, and Kyle, why don't you come up now? I see him as being called here by God. He sees that as well. And I see him kind of forging his way in ministry, starting to forge his way into into ministering to other people, not into being like this great guy, because you're not, um, not being this great guy, you are. and not about pride and all of this stuff, but, but about being in an office with, with Michael, Silva, and I and having these deep conversations and wrestling with the Lord and understanding what grace is while we're living in our skin and wanting to reach out and heal people with the word of God. And so with that, Kyle, I'd like you to uh, take over so I can go sit down and, and get paid to do nothing. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah all right, of course, man. Of course.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Scott. You're welcome. Uh, Well, I am blown away by this incredible opportunity and as Scott did mention, it is very hot up here so I'm going to go ahead and take this jacket off really fast. Let's go ahead and toss it to the side. Uh, we don't have an incredible amount of time today um, because, well, it's Valentine's Day. want to get everybody out of here, home to your significant others. For those of us like Scott that may have forgotten uh, to, you know, work on some things, it gives him a little bit of time. So don't worry. It's not just he wants to do nothing. Uh, he's definitely working on some things for Kathy. I'm just going to jump right into it. We're going to pick up the story right here in Luke 5, one of my favorite verses of all time, or favorite... Passage of scripture of all time. We're going to pick up in Luke 5, 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now I want to pause right there for just a second. Um, I think it is important to note uh, that when Luke is writing about this, as we discussed earlier, he was more than likely a physician. He was a doctor Um, and when it does write leprosy here, it's not directly as leprosy as we know it nowadays. It actually, uh, in the original Greek translation, was kind of a fill-in for any skin ailment, Um, but it does imply that he was covered with leprosy, so we know this was a pretty serious case of um, a disease. Now, we also know uh, that in the Jewish culture... Uh, especially back then, the ancient Jewish culture, that diseases like leprosy or, you know, maybe in today's translations, diabetes, which I got 21 years, thank you, um, or a, a variety of other diseases and ailments, those were often seen as a repercussion of a sinful life or something to do with sin. That's very important to note here. When you were covered in leprosy, you were seen as unclean. And so when you were a part of that uncleanliness, you were actually cast out of the community that you had maybe been born raised in, and you were a part of a leper colony. And it was a collection of unclean individuals. And you were completely devoid of the regular community, regular relationships, because you had to live, not only knowing in and of yourself that you were unclean, that you were dirty, and telling yourself you were sinful, right? Because that was the culture and what they taught them but you are devoid of all those normal relationships and everybody else believed that of you as well. It goes on to say in verse 13, and he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I was going to snap right there, but fun fact, I can't snap. So don't make fun of me for that, please. I know, I know. It's going to be in the office all week this week. Need some grace, all right? We just talked about that. A couple of key things here. And this is all setting up context for what's coming next. Ah, in in, oh, I love this. I love this chapter. First, we see a great parallel here with the way Peter approached Jesus and this leper approached Jesus. And as Scott talked about earlier, how uh, Isaiah encountered and, and interacted with the Lord in heaven. And we're going to see this also in the next part. These different approaches to God and to Jesus and to Christ in our lives. In Isaiah, we see uh, when you're in heaven, right, it's this all-encompassing feeling, almost like being just hugged and smothered by the sheer presence of God in perfection. As Peter saw, he was invited into a, a personal relationship with God to walk with him and to be not just a tool, but to be in relationship with him as a friend, as a mentor, as Lord, and to walk that out. And then you got... This man, this, this leper, this sick individual who's been cast out of his community, who has been continuously told and believed that he was sick and, and for, you know, physically for good reasons, he, he was. And he approaches Jesus and in the same exact way, we're going to go back and, and check this out. He fell on his face and employed him in the same way Peter did, in the same way Isaiah did, and soon, as we'll see coming up, he fell down, he realized that he was unclean, that he was sick, and that he needed Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, to heal him. Now, it is also important to note that Jesus probably wasn't just hanging out in the middle of lepers at this time. And though he did come to, to heal, that wasn't the context of what she was doing. He was preaching to these multitudes of crowds, right? So this man heard about, as, as word spread of Jesus, heard about God, heard about Jesus, and came to him knowing that he was unclean, that he was unworthy, and yet he still begged God, and the incredible thing here, and I think this is the first of all the key lessons today that I want to briefly talk about, and I would love to have these conversations with anybody that wants to, is that he asked Jesus, and he said, I know that you are able, paraphrasing here, I know you are able to heal me, but are you willing to heal me? So oftentimes, I hear, and I have a, a large array of friends from all across the political, spiritual spectrum. I love these kind of conversations. But so often, I kind of hear this, this, uh, this pseudo case against God and against Christ. And then I always think, well, if God's all powerful, why does he allow these things? So he can't be all good, right? And we've heard that all before. Most of us, probably many of us in this room or online, however you're listening. But this man, who is sick, who is wounded, who is cast out, who realized how dirty he was, says, God, I know that you are able. I'm just asking if you are willing. And I want that to be the heart that I approach Jesus with every day. Sorry, I just hit the mic because I forgot I have it right here. And that I hope each one of us can do as well. We're going to scurry past these next couple of verses, but we will go read them because again, I just love what's coming up next. And Jesus ordered him to <clears throat> ordered him to tell no one, but to go and show yourselves to the priest and make an offering of your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, why would Jesus tell this man not to go out? and tell people this amazing healing. Well, it's actually very simple. And if you go back and reread it, and you read it in the context of the rest of Luke 5, it's really, really obvious, I think. Though it took me a couple of times to read it, because I'm a blockhead. So, the reason why Jesus, more than likely the reason why, that Jesus told this man, commanded this man, after he healed him, and after this man came to him and begged, right, laid it all down, recognized his dirtiness, and approached God, approached Jesus, was because he didn't want word to get out just so people would come to him for the healing. I think so often, and I'm guilty of this, and unfortunately I know many of us are guilty of this, and many of the world as well, much if not all, we, come, we fall in love with the things of God, and the blessing of God, as opposed to the blesser, and the character and person of God. And we begin to chase after the things of God. Well, let me tell you, that's not how it works. That's only going to lead to heartache because you are worshiping the creation, not the creator. And when we begin to pursue those things, whether it be sexual desire, or actually, as one of my former pastors and mentors told me there are three things that are going to start to derail your ministry, the glory, the gold, and the gals, or the guys if you're a gal or, you know, whatever. Now, when we begin to pursue those things, whether it be for our own pride, for our own financial resources, or for our own sexual desires, that is what is going to be derailed. But when we pursue God for the character of God, for the person we see walking throughout the scriptures, for the person and relationship that Paul later describes and the character that we see throughout his story in our history... That's when these blessings begin to flow. Now again, if you're reading along at home or you have your phone out, I want you to highlight or just put some kind of reminder to the next three verses that we're going to read. Because they're going to build the context of which the following verses are just so beautiful to me. And as we know, as one of my favorite Bible teachers from Bible College said, Content without context is a pretext for anything. So we want to make sure that we're effectively and accurately interpreting the scriptures based on what is going on. Verse 15. But the news of him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. He would go and be with God. One day, he was teaching... And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Why are these three verses super important for what comes next? We're going to talk about the implications of them. So let's paint this picture, all right? The implications of these scriptures are, well, first we'll look at the the, the first two verses of 17. One day. Not the next day, not a one or two days or two, you know, specific. It's just one of the days. Keep that in mind. We're going to put that to the side for just a second. We're going to come back to it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been pretty much taking a walk anywhere. I remember one day I got really upset of my own volition when I was helping out my mom's school, and so I decided to walk the five-hour journey back to my house when I was a teenager. Yeah, that was very long. From Walnut Creek to Martinez. Don't recommend it in the pouring rain. All right, so just, I, first of all, I don't recommend that. But it took a long time, five hours for that short distance. Now, I want you to think of Judea and Galilee and, 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 and Jerusalem and how spread out those must be, right? Let's just say that word was gonna spread. No technology to spread it. How long do you think it would take for not only this, this, a little, not just a little whisper of a rumor of a man doing something crazy, but all of a sudden this wave of information and belief coming to then spread throughout the neighboring cities. More than a day. Probably more than a couple days. So then it, so it gets there, right? The information has to get there. Then it has to spread. And then, not only that, it has to get to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they have to consider it serious enough to then go send people and investigate. This took a couple of days, bare minimum, and I believe probably about mm, a week. Don't, Don't take that as gospel, but just painting the picture here. For these words to spread and for them to send people and for these people, to come. People from all over for healing and all those things, right? So one day, one of these days, after the word had spread, after people from all of these cities and provinces were coming down to see Jesus because he had to have been at least around the same area so they knew where to go. They didn't have Jesus trackers. They didn't have phones or GPS or anything like that. One of these days... And this is the verse that just absolutely blows me away. And 18, and some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the of the crowd, in front of Jesus. I want to take another second and just pause right there. So in the context of what I just described with the spreading of the word and all these things happening, the likelihood that whoever this paralyzed man was and his friends that brought him were in the same town, maybe next door, they might have been, Scripture doesn't explicitly say that, but given the the context and kind of uh, the implications of it, I don't believe that they were just next door or even in the same town, but probably came from all around. I want you to picture this. A man who cannot walk, cannot move his arms, can't move at all, had been this way for what may have been his entire life or a good portion of his life. We don't know if an accident had happened and, and created those circumstances. We don't know. And as we described before, you know, physical ailments were oftentimes seen as a result of sin or living a sinful life. This man, you know, to the best of his abilities, I'm sure, and this is Luke talking as a physician, probably sought out, whatever his financial means were, some kind of medical help to see if anyone could fix it. But yet nobody had been able to done it yet because obviously he was paralyzed. And he had been told, more than likely, all his life that. Well, or since this occurrence, right? That was because of your sin or it was because of this or that. So I imagine this man sitting down, not really enjoying his life, but just kind of laying there. And these four friends walk up. These four friends walk up. And they're like, hey, listen. We just heard of this guy. A couple, couple of cities over named Jesus of Nazareth, and he's done some extraordinarily healing stuff that, well, as he, as he preaches and preaches these amazing words, he's also living this out and, and healing people. We think that this guy might just be the one who can heal you. Now, if that's me, if somebody walks up to me and says, hey, there's somebody that can magically heal you, your diabetes, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll look at you and be like, you're crazy. It's probably not how it works. So this man, I imagine, was sitting there. His friends come to him, tell him this, lay out this story. And he's probably like, all right, guys, I need some encouragement today, but that's that's a bit far-fetched. I don't know. And even if I wanted to go, I can't even walk. And I imagine these guys looking at him and, and saying, don't worry about that. We'll carry you. So they pick this man up as I imagine, on his stretcher, a full-grown man, and carry him through the desert down to the Sea of Galilee. And and, and they get to this house where they're like, okay, we're following these crowds. We see that this is where they're all going. Hey, where are you going? Oh, we're going to see this guy named Jesus. Okay, okay, we're going to to keep following you. And they get to this building, and there's absolutely no way. It is completely packed, and they go around, and they're they're looking around, they're like, okay, we can't get anything through any of the windows, like, there's obviously no way we can walk in through the doors. What about the roof? And this is a side note, Luke describes the roof as tiles, the other Gospels just kind of say the roof, and this is the same story that's actually talked about in Mark 2 and in Matthew 9. Um, They're really interchangeable. All it really means and why it's somewhat significant that Luke says tile is because the tiles that made up the the roofing uh, to these buildings and these houses were removable and you could remove them without damaging the integrity of the house at all and you could replace them as well. So that's an interesting footnote. But not finding any way, any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher. They systematically remove all the tiles and the ceiling so that they can lower their friends down to the feet, their friend down to the feet of Jesus. Verse nine, or, I'm sorry, verse 20. Seeing their faith, he said, Jesus said, friend, Your sins are forgiven you. Well, we'll just continue on, then we'll backtrack a little bit. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, so I will give the Pharisees this credit. That statement is, you know, half true, right? I mean... We know that this is that Jesus is God, so there's a bit of a difference there. But the statement, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a true statement. I'll give him that. It's interesting to note that when Luke talks about Pharisees, of all the Gospels, he is the one that, well, maybe doesn't paint them in the perfect light or even a good light. He paints them in the most gray light, I guess you could say. Uh, many of the other Gospels usually focus more on uh just, just breaking them down a little bit more. Uh, Luke is a little bit more like, oh, there were some Pharisees there, and this is what they said, and I'm going to let you feel how you want to about that. But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, I was going to snap again right there, but I can't. He got, thank you, thank you. I'm just going to, immediately, he got up before them, picked up, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. What I want us to focus on today, and Scott and I have been talking about this all week, and we've read many commentaries on it. We actually read the same commentaries as he gave me those as a resource. Um, And there's a lot in this chapter. There's a lot in these verses And so I highly recommend the Sermon 2.0 series. This isn't a plug-in for anyone. Nobody told me this. But dive into the Sermon 2.0 series uh, with Barry because uh, you get to kind of break apart all of these things. And there's so much in here, but I I really don't want to take up everybody's Valentine's Day. Um, So let me just focus on this. I think it's very interesting In verse 20, it says, seeing their faith. How does one see faith? I mean, yeah, okay, you're Jesus, right? So you can kind of see and know everything. There's the God card right there. But how do you see faith? How does Jesus see faith? It doesn't say Jesus knew their faith, but he saw it. There was a tangibility to their faith that they walked out, that they carried out, that they performed. And Jesus saw that and recognized that faith. One of the most influential people in my walk, well, I have a couple and I'll name them all, well, not all, a few of them at the end of this. Uh, John Jatoff. He's a great friend of mine, been a mentor and a friend uh, for the better part of a decade. In fact, I may actually think it might be over a decade at this point. Wow, I'm getting old. Um, but he, he is an incredible example of what I would just call an encourager. Incredible. Now, when uh, a couple of years ago, personally, going through a really difficult time spiritually, emotionally. And uh, there's my friend John and then my other friend Kyle Logan. If you've watched any of our worship videos, we'll be able to do uh, here. He's actually the one that performs and does pretty much all the hard work there uh, with the guitar and the singing and all the stuff I'm just not gifted with doing. I was struggling really hard in my faith. And in my faith, uh, not just of you know, kind of trying to, to, to mill around, okay, who is God right now? Like, what's going on? All these things are kind of clouding my thoughts in my head. But I came to the point where I felt like I couldn't even approach Jesus because of how filthy, how dirty, and how broken I was. I couldn't even fathom approaching Jesus. And I remember sitting out, And we're sitting out at this little park bench, eating beef jerky and drinking ginger ale. Um, And we're looking out and I just poured out my heart to Kyle. And then at other times I poured my heart out to John. And I was struggling. And in those moments, critical faith moments, I like to call them. Those two, along with the network of other people, spoke and did something to my heart and to my soul that I could never repay to this day. They carried me in my brokenness, in my paralyzed state, through the fog, and laid me at the foot and at the feet of Jesus. See, so often, I think there are two reasons and only two, and I will go to bat for these any day of the week, that anyone would say that we don't need other people, community, uh, small groups, whatever it is, to sometimes help us along and encourage us in our faith. There are only two. Because you're perfect or you're prideful. And let's be honest, which one of those is more likely? See, it wasn't the fact that uh, it might have been the fact that this man had faith and, and he was part of when, he, when, when it says Jesus saw their faith that, that he was healed. It might have been. I don't know. The scripture is not exactly clear cut on that. What I do know is that it was plural. And it had to have been, at least in part, because those four friends... Heard, knew, and were determined that whatever it took, whatever desert they had to walk through, or how much weight they had to carry, no matter how they had to strategize to figure out, they were going to bring their friend who needed healing, who needed a change, who needed a savior, to the feet of the one, who the only one who could do that. I do love and I think it's ironic and in my mind I like to picture this situation where these Pharisees are like, who is this man who's doing these things and can't only God forgive sin alone? It's actually interesting because in the Gospel of Luke, this is the first time that Jesus titles himself the Son of Man. So I like to imagine, I don't know how accurate this is, I like to imagine that these Pharisees are like talking to themselves and they're like, who is this man that's doing this? And Jesus is like, you know, he's God, so he knows, he can see their hearts. And he's just like, hey, I just want to tell you what the Son of Man has to do. I just, I just imagine just a little bit uh, there, and I'm sure on some level he did. I don't think Jesus was so cut and dry and just robotic. Obviously not. We see later in the Gospels that he weeps, uh, that he uh, has a wide range of emotions, we see those things. Okay, got a little bit of time. I think we might actually end a little bit early, which is funny, because Scott, well, it's supposed to be 35 minutes, but it's okay, whatever. That's my fault. If you have your phone, or you have a piece of paper, or you're at home, I encourage you to do this sometime within the next 15, 20, whenever you get a chance. But do it soon so it's fresh on your mind. Those four friends that carried their brother, their friend, the one they cared about, the one that they knew needed a divine meeting. Who are those in your life? I can't, well, I'll get to that in a second. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And that's what I imagine had to have been at the heart. Now, obviously, Paul hadn't written these letters yet, so it wasn't like the scriptural, they were thinking of it. But I have to imagine of the character of these men, that was what was at the heart of why they were doing what they did. i think so often and especially now and i know everybody's tired of talking about covid i am i just want to go back to the gym at not four o'clock in the morning but i think so often and especially now solitude isolation depravity of community is more than likely, and I think somewhat tied to most of our struggles when it comes to walking and laying ourselves down, recognizing our sin, and, and planting ourselves at the feet of God. For the elders and for the deacons at First Christian, and for anyone out there listening or in this room today, it is our duty to be willing to be one of those people, one of those men, to help you through the desert, up onto the roof, and through the ceiling to lay you at the feet of Jesus. We all need community. And whether it's gathering for coffee, I don't know necessarily if we even can do that now, I just get everything when Scott gets it, so I don't even know. Whether it be coming to church on a Sunday, entering the house of God, whether it be in your own family units, whatever it looks like, whatever it takes, we need to be there for one another. Now that paper, or your phone that I mentioned earlier, I want to just... Lay out some things, some action points for us, action questions. First is, well, what does it mean to be on someone's team? To be one of the four. And it could be four, it could be eight, whatever that number is, could be three. I'm just going to stick with four for right now. Well, here's what it means. Call them. Email them. Reach out. Well, that's simple enough. I think many of us do that. Here's the one that a lot of us don't do. I'm guilty of not doing this, and I'm trying to get better at it. Listen to them. Let me say that again, because maybe some of us weren't listening. Listen to them. About the condition that they feel like their heart is in, the fog that they feel like they're walking through, whatever it is, their paralysis. Listen to them about where they believe their condition is. You can't help somebody if you don't know what they need. Listen to them. There's the, some of the more obvious things. Taking time to encourage them in godly living. Challenging them. The whole iron sharpens iron. We talk about grace a lot. When they fail you, and that's weird for me to say because it's not exactly what I want. That's why the quotes are there, but if you're listening uh, on a platform that doesn't have video, just know I'm quoting that. When they fail you, have the grace, have the mercy to be willing to bend down and pick them up. to show that compassion, to show that grace, that unearned favor, that unearned blessing. Help them understand that they aren't abandoned or forgotten. I don't know if anyone listening or anyone in this room has ever felt abandoned and forgotten. No matter who you were around. I think one of the worst things, and I think Robin Williams uh, said this, and I'm going to paraphrase it, so please don't you know, go off on me. But essentially what he, what he was getting at was, the worst thing in life isn't to be alone. It's to be surrounded by people who make you feel alone. And that really resonates with me. Not because of here at all. It's actually been great working with Scott, working with the elders and the deacons and everyone else in between. It's been wonderful. They've never, I've never felt alone or forgotten or abandoned. But for many of us, especially during COVID, when we're physically having to isolate and to distance out, and it's not recommended that we gather together, right? I can only imagine what that feels like. When we are alone, it is so much easier for an enemy to attack you. One of my favorite memories of kids' camp, uh, one of my uh, churches I used to work at, we, we would get together. And every night we would send all the fifth graders and younger to bed. And then we'd have all the sixth graders that would stay up late and have sixth grade games. And so we had a pillow fight the last night of camp. You had a bunch of different rounds. You could have some one on ones or some call outs. Some kid called me out once. That was a big mistake. Um, but so we, we, we have these pillow fights and there's multiple different things. And then eventually it was guys versus girls. I don't know if you've ever been around 6th grade boys. They're freaking crazy. They will go at you and there is no energy loss there. And so in context of this, these girls were a little bit more timid. They were less of them. There were about 45 uh, junior high boys and about 30 6th uh, grade girls. They had one round and the girls got slaughtered. It was bad. So I, I, I go up to Dustin Warford, who's the director of the camp and a friend of mine. And he, I was like, Dustin, listen, man. I was part of the band there. I was like, listen, can the band just like hop in and we'll be on the girls' team, just kind of even some things out? And he was like, okay, yeah, 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 sure. So we, we bring all the girls together. And we're just like, all right, guys, team huddle. Let's talk about this. Do you guys know what a phalanx is? And they look at us, and they're like, no. And I was like, okay, good. So what a phalanx is, and we explained it. And it was this, this uh, defense that Romans and Greeks, and most um, famously the Spartans of uh, the movie 300, uh, they would use. And it was, they would take their shields, and they'd overlap them next to each other, And then they would have another line behind them. It was this constant support and this wall of defense that they would cover each other's flanks and weak spots so that they could push ahead and make headway. So we described this formation to the girls. And they're like, okay. So we make two lines. And the band members are spread out. And there's like five of us, all right? And we're spread out through lines. And we get our pillows and we make them like shields and we interlock And then Dustin's up there on the stage. Girls are on this side. The boys are on this side. and They're all rowdy and jumping up and down like a bunch of savages. And Dustin, yeah, because they are. And Dustin says, go. And all of these boys just start rampaging and galloping, it looked like, towards this wall. And the girls, you could tell, were a little bit nervous, but we stuck it out and we stayed strong. And then, on the count of three, We all took a slight lean back, with our shields and our pillows still making a wall. And then right as the boys were about to hit the wall, we lunged forward. And every single one of them fell on their backs. That's when we broke formation and beat the tar out of them. It's one of my favorite memories. Because it wasn't about the strength of a single person that could have ever won that battle. It was the strength and fortification of those around us that we chose to surround ourselves with and who we chose to cover their flanks as they covered ours that made it possible. And today, I challenge that maybe you haven't really ever thought about this. Maybe you... Uh, have gone through life, and you've been super headstrong, I know that's my personality type at times too, and I'm actually working on, on, on lowering that a bit, but it's been super headstrong, it says, no, just go, 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 grit, 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 it's me against the world, like, yeah, okay, Jesus, but it's me against the world, right? And this is the, the real attitude there, regardless of what we say, this is the attitude. Is that pride talking or Perfection. Only you can answer that. My team, some of them, I know I can't name everyone, I have to say that or else somebody's going to be a little offended. Huh. My team, my parents, Connor Robles, John Jatoff, Kyle Logan, Scott Williams, just to name a few. And I know, because I have experienced and I have seen this scripture lived out in my own life, that it's because of faithful men and women who were able to pick me up and were willing to drag me through the desert and lay me down and love me every step of the way, even when I didn't know it was love, that allowed me and helped God to let me stand here today and share that word. That's what it means to be on someone's team. And that's what it means to be on someone else's team. I never want to live a life of passivity. For some of us, there's the question that has to be asked, Are we on someone's team or are we just warming the bench? I have to ask myself that every single day. And let me just say, it's not the Kyle show. It's not the Scott show. It's not the Barry. It's not the John. It's none of our shows, right? Because we can't, of our own strength and volition, we cannot do that for everybody. But you can do it for somebody, and that is the key to loving one another through this difficult, not just time, but through all the seasons of life that we go through. The the team might change, but the support will always be there. As we uh, prepare to close out, I will ask Scott to come back up and pray us out to actually uh, you know, get that, that hamburger of holiness, as I call it. I'm just starting to call it, that's on the spot. Hamburger of holiness to come back up so we can, so we can have that, that, that uh, closing of, of grace. Okay. But I want us to think about that today. Write down that list of people who you are on their team, you believe. Write down why and how have you shown that faith, and ask God how you can walk that out more. And then start to really think and pray and for, ask God to reveal to you who's been on your team, who has brought you to the feet of Jesus. Scott, take us away. All
2: right, thanks, Kyle. You, uh, pretty much finished on time you're pretty dynamic you're almost as good looking as I am I think I think I'm out of a job I'm just saying right here but no thanks that was awesome R- really insightful hey if you were blessed by Kyle this morning I'd encourage you to uh, drop a comment on the live feed whenever you're watching it um, we're on whatever platform you're watching it such so crazy technology and just encourage him uh, as he's an encouragement to all of us but Um, I was gonna pray for him but he bolted so um, so uh, let me just pray father God just thank you for this day and thank you for Kyle's life and for his family who've always been there for him thank you for his team I remember a couple of days at Chipotle and Martinez where um, just had meaningful discussion with Kyle and all the other conversations we're all having with each other here and there I just pray that um, somehow in the midst of all the things going on that we're able to find time to be in touch with each other personally even in isolation help us think about um, knowing what people need so that we can be there to help them help us to reach out in grace and mercy and love to other people help us to be part of your solution and not just part of the world's problem Um, and thank you for valentine's day and all of uh, the relationships that are often, uh, connected to that. (laughs) Mostly we thank you for our relationship with you, Jesus. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.